Hi, I'm Jackie, and today we're in our third episode of a series on body image. And I have to be honest, I've done an awful lot of reading and research and talking to women about the female body, but I haven't done an awful lot around the male body. And so today I'm going to be joined by with uh, Dr. Todd Phillips. And together we're going to talk about like how does culture and the church community impact how men view their bodies. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Um, as I said, I'm going to be joined today by Dr. Todd uh, Phillips. And Todd and I are colleagues and friends. We both attended Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, thank you. I want to thank you listeners out there for being patient for this particular episode. Todd and I have had quite a time trying to get our schedules together. Um, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about this dude that I'm going to be having a conversation with. Um, the reason I met him is because he, like my husband Steve, is involved in water in Africa. And he actually is the founder and the president of a water organization called The Last Well. And he's done that full time for like 13 plus years. But he's also an excellent preacher. He's been a senior associate pastor and teaching pastor at Lake Point Church in the Dallas Rockwall area. And before that, he was the preacher for the frontline teaching pastor at McLean Bible Church, which if you know anything about McLean, it's kind of famous in the D.C. area. So he's theologically astute. He's an excellent communicator, and he's a really good friend. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation we have plan for you today. So welcome, Todd. I'm so thankful you're giving your time to this conversation. It's very brave of you to come on this um, podcast. Well, thanks, Jackie. I appreciate the time, too. I I, I find this topic extremely interesting, and, and as you and I have talked about before, just uh, I, I think uh, a relatively rare discussion um, from an evangelical or biblical perspective because the focus is largely on women and not men. So thanks for allowing me to be a part of this. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I kept thinking, who am I going to ask to do this conversation that's theologically astute, can communicate really well, and is highly reflective and would be honest and actually give some deep con consideration to these questions that I want to walk through with you. And like I said before, our audience knows this. I've talked a lot um, about women's bodies, but I've actually never talked to a man about what does the church and culture teach about male body image. And, um, and I mentioned um, in one of our previous episodes that us little girls, you know, we learn about our bodies, body image, first and foremost, through moms, the most significant female figure in our life, not always, but in general. So um, 
who do you think has the most influence on little boys? Let's not talk about social media or any of that yet, but like who in their world when they're little impacts how they view their bodies, do you think the most? I mean, if you're talking about um, preteen, I, I, you know, I would, I would guess, and I, I say that very specifically, I would guess the, the one with the greatest influence would be the father. The, the challenge is what 50% of people don't grow up with their father. I, I didn't. Um, and I think in, in that case, um, I think it's as early as elementary school. I think they're, they're, they're friends. They're the, the, the students that are sitting by them every day in school have a lot of influence on how they perceive not only their own bodies, but the discussions they have um, uh, amongst themselves really drives that view. So even in elementary, you think the boys are kind of learning from each other. They might learn from their dad, but as you mentioned, dad may, may not be around. So second, the second influence you would say is actually peers at this point. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, anecdotally that, 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 that comes from my own experience as a, a, you know, as an elementary student and then going into preteen and high school, um, the, the, the main influence I had then, yeah, was my friends, my, um, the people closest to me, the guys that I hang, hung out with the most. I think today, um, I don't think there's any argument there. There might be, but I think in general terms, there's no argument that the, both the uh, femininity and masculinity are defined in large, in large part by, I would say, uh, if I had to guess, 80, 90% on social media, the influence of TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and uh, these other points of social media contact that really, really almost, almost entirely drive our view of our cultural view of, of both. Okay, so let me ask you about that. Like, let's see, um, what do you think as a kid did you learn from your peers about your body? Now I'm going to be really personal. I didn't even tell you it was going to be really personal because I didn't know I was going to be. But um, can you think of one thing? And then I agree with you. I think probably the second influence in, in culture would be social media, as it is for women, too. After the age of 10, that's true of girls, too. It becomes social media. So what do you think you learned um, from your peers about what it means to walk around in a male body? And then what do you think social media is telling men today? Yeah, I think, so jumping back to elementary school, I think for me, and again, again, this is my own experience, my own perspective, and I, I would suggest maybe it's maybe not normative, but at least some some percentage of, of guys were, were, were walking through this issue very similar to me. I think I think it was driven around, for lack of a better term, who was cool. Uh, I don't know what that meant. I was trying to identify what that was, you know, who were the popular boys and why, you know, so was it, was it because they were funny? Was it because they were, you know, good looking from the girl's perspective? Did they, did, you know, did, um, were they athletic? And I was trying to figure that out as a, as a child. And then I think it really drove the point home when I began to get into middle school and high school was that in large part, the athletes were, um, you know, they, they, they held, they were the hub of the wheel. And whatever they looked like and whatever they did and however they talked, uh, at least in, in high school for me, was, was a major factor in, in my own perspective or perception of what uh, manhood was. Um, I think television had some influence on me, but, but far less than just my, you know, that, that daily experience I had primarily at school. So you'd say athletic look. Yeah, whatever that was, right? So, you know, football, baseball, basketball. Right, interesting. Um, 
Yeah, and so that that really drove that. I don't. I, I think what was interesting about me is I, and, and I think this is important. I, I, um, I had a in elementary school. I went to a private school, and I, I skipped a grade. I, 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 it was an it's it's a long story, but I skipped a grade, and so I had this sense in my early on in my development that that no matter what, I was I was smart, right? So I, I kind of I, I clung on. I, I was clinging on to that reality, even though even if I wasn't athletic or didn't meet up to some other standard, I had my own sense of identity because of that. And I think what happens to a lot of people uh, in, in elementary, junior high, and high school is that they don't have anything to cling to unless it's something like athletics, right? So if they're very smart, they think they're smart, so they, they lean into that reality, and that's what it means to be a man. Um, if they're athletic, you know, that, that drives it. But I think even though I was able to cling on to this idea that I was an intelligent uh, uh, young man and that, that that was part of my identity um, I was still looking to these others that were far more popular um, uh, and and um, you know really quote unquote ran the school and that was primarily those that were again athletic that um, strong um, you know uh, dominant in some way mm, interesting words interesting words um, okay, so we know that women are dissatisfied with their bodies. Um, only 2% of women can consider themselves beautiful. I think that's very sad. Um, 81% of 10-year-old girls are fearful of being fat. 10-year-olds. 90% of women want to change at least one aspect of their appearance. Um, that's always a question I used to ask um, when we'd go out to our lake house. I'd ask everybody, if you could change one thing about your body. And then I would say to my husband, stupidly, if you could change one thing about my body, what would it be? And one time he goes, I think your nose. I was like, dude. And that was it. Anyway, <laughs> that's not the wow. question. Yeah, Don't, I, he, he answered. That was stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he should have called me. I, I, I know at least that one. <laughs> Okay, I've got that answer. Right. Not a thing, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that women aren't happy, and we actually know that women criticize their bodies more than men do, but research indicates that male body dissatisfaction is on the rise. And I never knew how much you guys cared about your bodies. You know, I have two boys and a, and a husband, and in our home, and I have a daughter and me, and in our home, Actually, it's the men who constantly look at themselves in the mirror and check out their bodies. Mm-hmm. They're, and they're trying to see, you know, how it looks. And um, I, I just was not aware that men, growing up, I was just never told that men really care about their body as much as men do. And we know from statistics that more and more men care. Um, in 1972, yeah. only 50% of men were dissatisfied with their body. Today, it's 40%. And um, I'm giving a little facts here to the to the audience. So Michael Kimmel is this guy. I've read almost every single one of his books. He's a leading sociologist. He's the leading sociologist in masculinity in America. And he says there's only two times in American history where men's interest in health and diet have matched the women. And that's back at the t- turn of the century and today, which I think is interesting. And he says there's lots of reasons for that. One, and I'm quoting him, is the interest in the body was promoted by the collapse of the workplace as an arena in which to test and prove masculinity. When men's real work failed to confirm manhood, men worked out, literally lifting weights. So there's this thing, women, this expectation for men that they have this ideal body. um, And that ideal body that we're now starting to see in social media is untainable. 
just like it is for women. Um, the standard of muscularity has increased. So in 1974, GI Joe would have been 510 with a 31 inch waist, 44 inch chest and 12 inch bicep. Um, and there was, this is, this is strong and muscular, but within the realm of possibility. But in 2002, the waist of GI Joe shrunk from 31 to 28 his chest expanded to 50 and his biceps are now 22 inches, not possible. And if it was, it would look really deformed. So we know these messages about the ideal female body impacts the confidence of women. Um, Kay and Shipman, who wrote this book called the confidence code about women said that at every age, the physical appearance plays an important, um, a disproportionate role in building a woman's self-confidence. And so women go to all kinds of lengths, unhealthy and harmful lengths, to try to attain this impossible standard of beauty. So I wonder, all of this about women, and we're seeing some of this happening in men, how do you think this ideal body image that's being played out in front of men now about male bodies impacts their confidence or the lengths that men will go to obtain the unobtainable ideal male body? Okay, so just at a <laughs> there's a lot there, I, and I don't mean to discount. Uh, is it Michael Kimmel? Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to discount Kimmel's uh, study, and I'm sure he's done a lot of work on this. And it sounds like he's done not only a lot of research, but but written books and, and given a lot of his time and effort to this. So I'm sure much of what he says is 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 certainly accurate statistically and otherwise. I would say that um, in light of saying that, or in spite of it, <laughs> I would say that. Um, unless I misunderstand it, the, the idea that we, that men couldn't uh, prove out their masculinity in the job and now they're working out because it's not expressed in the, in their work any longer. Is that, is that going back like centuries where they used to work on the field or go hunt and now they're not. Okay. okay. It's it's, the idea that white collar has removed us from, from being physical, right. From like being out and actually using your body for productivity. And so now it's really, you know, we're sitting in front of computers and so we're not using our bodies the same way, which in those worlds, there was a sense of masculinity tied, tied to that. Right. And so now it's not. So you see men going to work out and work out, places to build their bodies in ways that probably would have happened if you worked on the farm. Yeah, you know, that's fair. I think, um, I think that, uh, so a couple of thoughts on that. I, I, even if that's the case, and it certainly may be the case. Um, I, I, when I, when I first hear that, I, I really believe that, that the idea of, you know, working out, going to the gym, uh, is far more, well, let's say this, it's equally as, the genesis of it is equally from just the general understanding of health and the need to do so, right? So we're not out on the field anymore. We're not hunting and gathering anymore. We are in front of a computer now. And so, you know, we're gaining weight, getting less healthy uh, or more inclined to illnesses. I think there's that's equally an issue, right? So it's not just the perception of the male body and what we should be and what masculinity is about. It is really legitimately looking at ourselves and going, wow, we are out of shape, right? We no longer feel well. We're taking naps in the afternoon. We don't sleep well at night. I, I think, I think both are the case. So I just, I feel like it's worth throwing out there. I um, like that. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so I think, I think both are true, but to, 
but to just speak of the fact that we're trying to express our masculinity in the gym, although that's probably the case, and I would agree it's part of it. I think it's it's certainly equal parts both. So that's number one. Um, I also think when you talked about GI Joe and, and the changes in 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 you know the the, the uh, <laughs> you know the, how big were the biceps twenty two inches uh, on the new GI Joe yeah. just 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 ludicrous. I mean, that's just, it's, it's not only not attainable, it's just, it's, it's silliness, right? But even Barbie dolls have changed. Um, you know, 36, 24, 36 used to be the, you know, the Marilyn Monroe style, you know, beauty. And then it was the very thin, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, you look at all the changes, you know, what is beauty, um, in each generation, in each decade, in each culture, I think these things change over time. And they do. But, uh, but I, I do think that, like for example, I was. I, this is an old show now, but there's a show called Suits, and it's just fresh in my mind. It's a it's a show about attorneys, and and the two the two main stars of, of Suits are are guys that are basically the original GI Joe, right? They're about they're probably five 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 nine five ten. They probably got a thirty inch thirty one inch waist, forty four inch. You know, just just what we we would consider kind of a normal guy. Um, you know, walking down the street as opposed to this um, GI Joe style 22 inch bicep. So I think, I think, I think there are some extreme examples of that, like the rock, right, you know, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. you know they're, they're there, but I don't, I don't know that the vast majority of men are considering that the ideal. I think interesting enough, kids in high school and college who are still trying to figure out what masculinity is. They're the ones that are, I think are most, um, influenced by Hollywood. But I think, I think people, I do believe this, that once we, they get out of college, get into the real world and begin to mature a bit, I think, and again, this is anecdotal, but 25 and up, 30 and up, I think, I think the vast majority of men are not identifying masculinity in that way. That's really interesting because um, women still are. So what, what I yeah. hear you saying is, um, actually, no, men move on to other things that define them and their body image isn't at um, the core of their identity or worth. Whereas in America, even as women age, even out of college, high school, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, she's still required to uphold this standard, society standard of beauty um, it's it's at the center of a woman's life, where what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily at the center of a man's life. Yeah, I, I think, and again, right, there's always outliers to that. But I think in general terms, I think I would agree with the statement you just made. I think, for example, I'm just looking at my own life. I, I try to stay, quote, unquote, healthy, right? So when I look, it's funny. As soon as you, this is interesting, I think to myself at least, as soon as you identified the 1974 G.I. Joe, right, 5'10", I'm six feet. Uh, 31 inch waist. I've got a 31 inch waist, 44 inch chest. That's what I've got. I don't know what, you know, size my biceps are, but I'm sure they're 11, 12 inches, something like that. Right. So, so that, that's kind of an average guy. Maybe, I don't know, but I mean, that identifies me, right? I don't have a desire to have a 28 inch waist, you know, or, or a 50 inch chest or biceps that are 20, like that doesn't even begin to drive my psyche. And or weigh in any any it sounds like what you're saying have any impact on the confidence that you carry when you walk into a room or when you're uh, going, you know, to do a business deal uh -huh. or right. It's not no. it's not attached. No, no, I mean, at, at any level. But I would say this, that if I felt 
it's a feeling, right? So it's, it's our, it's our own perceptions of who we are. So my, my perceptions are driven not by the new GI Joe guy or, or the rock, which again, I think college and, and young adult men are, are strongly affected or at least more affected by that. My, mine is more, you know, if I had a, if I have a 40 inch waist, right. If I, if I look from a cultural perspective and I'm just thinking out loud, if I look from a cultural perspective, either unhealthy or overweight or obese, I, I think that's one thing, but I think it's more my own perspective. Like if I have a 40 inch waist at this point, I know that's an unhealthy way to be. I know I'm going to be tired, lethargic, um, not on my game. So it's far less what culture sees of me and far more, far more how I'm feeling about myself. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. So I want to switch us a little bit to talk about the church. Okay. <laughs> you know, what we hear and what we learn about um, from the church. And so I did an episode where I talked about what women learn from uh, the faith community, particularly evangelical faith community about the female body. And I yeah. have done this for decades where I've, you know, went around the country and I have women write on sticky notes. What you, what have you learned about your body from the church? And um, very, very toxic by the way, but um, things like uh, be thin so you can catch a man, cover, cover up so not to tempt, don't have sex before marriage, um, after marriage, have lots of sex to keep your man, stay attractive. Um, so it's all wrapped around all we ever have really heard in the church as women in general. And of course I'm always making general statements. Um, as you said, there are outliers, but is that this, this idea that the woman's body is about staying attractive so that she can catch a man and engage in sex. Right. So if I asked men in the church, this same question, I had them write it down on sticky notes. What do, what do you think they would say, um, are the messages they've received from the church about having a male body? Next to nothing. Wow. Um, no, I mean... Next to nothing, I, you said. Yeah, and, and, and again, this may be a level of ignorance on my part. I mean, you, you and I have talked about this. I, I, you know, in the last, gosh, for, for, you know, in the last seven or eight years, um, and, and your audience may or may not know this, but I've been going through, a, a, you know, my own theological journey where I, I worked from a, you know, moved from an evangelical, very, you know, this, this whole worship of certainty at some level, right, that I believe the evangelical church teaches. And then I taught from the stage, from the pulpit for years. And over the last eight years, making a pretty aggressive shift in a very, very different direction. And so what's happened over the last six, seven, eight years in the church, I, I really can't speak to in, in this framework, but certainly in the 20 years before that, I don't, I don't, I mean, any discussion we had, any sermons I even preached, uh, when it came to marriage and family and, and relationships between men and women, um, uh, the, the discussion of the male body and, uh, the level or the requirement to stay fit or to stay attractive to the woman, although it may have been implied, it was certainly not as overt as, the the instruction to women to stay that way for men. Mm. It's true. It's really true. Hmm. I think it's an interesting thing. You know, both of us went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Both of us are seminary trained. And, um, and yet I wonder, you know, 
here we are, we walk around in bodies 365 days out of the year, you know, 24 hours a day. And I don't know that we have a robust theology about why we have bodies. So we're we're dealing with homosexuality and transgendered and, and, you know, roles of men and women. Maybe we can't have a good conversation about any of that because we don't have a good, robust theology about our bodies. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just hear, I'm hearing you say this man who has a doctorate from from seminary, you know, next to nothing. That's pretty profound because you actually live and move in your body all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you bring up a very salient point and one that needs to be, you know, uh, re, you know, investigated and discussed and and um, written about far more than it is, at least as far as I'm aware. I think um, what I what I'm just thinking through this. Um, yeah, I still stand by what I'm saying. I don't think that we address that issue. Uh, at all, and I think we spend a tremendous amount of time focused on women's bodies, expectations of women to satisfy their man, quote unquote. And and I do think that uh, you know you mentioned maybe you did this time or in, in some discussions we've had in the past about the you know the egalitarian view of um, or complementarian view of of men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I would say that um, you know for me. I, I think all views, again, I, I'm not trying to be provocative here, but I, I think that all or most of the views of, of men and women, uh, uh, masculinity, feminine, femininity, sexuality on both sides of it, regardless of whether it's a complementarian or egalitarian view or a, a far more male-dominant view that, that would be self-described, I think, largely in, in some of the mainline denominations and even in the evangelical church, um, that level of masculinity as opposed to the femininity that, that each of these t- attempts to describe or to, to balance out, I think most of them um, uh, do a disservice largely to women and at the same time hyper-masculate men. Um, I don't think we've developed a, a strong theology in the church that gives clarity or... or um, uh, really, really offers a balanced perspective on this from a biblical perspective. Now, saying that, I have absolutely no answer for that. (laughs) I'm not sure I do either, but I'm chasing it. (laughs) Yeah. So as I've, if I've, as I've expressed my frustration in that, I have no answers, but yeah, yeah. But, um, I I think it's, I I think it's, I think it needs to be as, as we've talked about you and and, and me and and your wonderful husband, Steve, and in different discussions, I think, much of this, certainly this topic, needs to be aggressively deconstructed, yeah. um, making absolutely no assumptions as to the correctness of what we currently view uh, masculinity or femininity. I think it's it's time for a it's time for a completely new look, right. a, a new reflection on this topic. Yep, I agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, okay, I'm going to move us to. Uh, so this time I sat in a coffee shop, Starbucks, I think it was, in Capel. It's, it's a suburb of Dallas, for all of you who don't know. And that's where I lived for almost 30 years. And it's right down the street from the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Stars Training Center, you know. And um, yeah. I, I also have no idea who, uh, you know, anything about sports. So, like, I literally bumped into Troy Aikman 
one time and didn't know it was Troy Aikman. And my friend who was with me was like, oh, my gosh, do you know who that is? I'm like, no. You know, so I (laughs) like so the fact that it's down the street from these things and I'm mentioning them to you don't think it's because I know who these people are. I don't. It's just that this happens to be a place, a Starbucks, where all of those players come. So like this, these famous athletes come in and you can always tell because they're really usually huge. Right. But also because of how people in the in the coffee shop respond to their their walking in. And I will never forget, one day I was sitting there, and this guy came in, again, real tall dude. His name's Ed Young. He's a pastor of a mega church in the Capel area. And he walks in, and he's kind of walking in, strutting um, with some other guys with him, like he's one of those celebrity athletes. It was the same atmosphere when he walked in. And it made me think about all those years I was in the mega church world in particular of evangelicalism of how we had promoted or advocated for this particular type of looking man in the pulpit and what that impact had on other men sitting in the pews and even women sitting in the pews and and you know you know what I'm talking about Todd here because actually yeah. you are one of them <laughs> <laughs> you're what? that buff, cool dude, you know, with the skinny jeans and, and, you know, they all had tats up. I don't know if you have tattoos, but they had tattoos and they have the goatee. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like Carl. Well, Lentz. Jackie, this has been a great conversation. And <laughs> too bad we're out of time. <laughs> you know, the dude, you know, the look you were him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, fine. <laughs> Tell me, you know, what do you think that image um, communicated to men um, in the pews about what what a biblical man was supposed to look like? Yeah, so so let me say this before I answer this. I, I think, you know, sometimes it's good to get a, a bit more distance between you and a given topic, and, and I think I... I have some distance between me and this topic, but but I'm, I'm I don't know that I'm far enough away to give a I don't know a purely objective, unemotional perspective. So just know that I think you know. First of all, I don't think this is it, it, it any longer identifies me. I've kind of been on this, as I said, a eight or ten year journey in relation to this issue, as a matter of fact, and and really every other topic in my life relating to my understanding of God, the relevance of the Bible, the you know, and, and really the deification of leaders in the church, which is what I think you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place for us to be in the church today. And when I say deification of these leaders, right, it's, it's making them almost godlike. And then, and then there's this feedback loop, feedback loop within the church that the larger churches happen to have these kinds of men, specifically men, in the pulpit, and therefore— Churches who are trying to get larger or grow are finding men just like this in the pulpit because, you know, the entirety of the church, at least in theory, is driven around the stage Sunday morning for one hour with this man preaching. And therefore, that feedback loop, in my opinion, again, has been deleterious uh, to the overall reality of what the church is trying to accomplish in culture, right? We're trying to be more like culture, to engage culture, to bring them into an environment that's familiar to them to give them that um, movie star on stage. And, and then from that, they will see beyond that, that man and see Jesus in the process. I think the problem is, is that just like we, you know, we tend to see our fathers as this, you know, when we're children, 
and we see this, you know, we, we see our dad as this expression of God. And then we, we move beyond that reality and see, a, you know, a, a fallible man who is some sort of a shadow of this representation of what God's supposed to be in our life. We move beyond them and we see God for who he really is. I, I think that fails to happen largely in the church. Mm-hmm. I think when, when you create this, this bright lights, um, uh, this persona on stage, it, it gets in the way. And that's a very, I'm being very friendly here. Um, uh, it takes, it, it, it takes the focus completely off uh, the Jesus of the Bible. Um, it, it, it acts actually as a false image, um, uh, just as much as the false images of masculinity and femininity are currently in culture. In other words, they're no different. So we, we look at social media, we look at the, you know, the, the movie stars, we look at the, the people that are out in, you know, in the, in the public eye as, as the, what, what perfection is, what sexuality is, what masculinity is, et cetera. Um, and we, we don't look beyond that. In fact, that is the end all be all. And I do believe that, that these types of the structure, the culture we're creating in the church is no different. I think it's very difficult for people in, in, in what I would say low information from a biblical perspective, people who are only getting their theology from that man on stage, I think it's difficult, if not impossible, for them, for them to ever see beyond that, mm. to, to get some, some, some honest understanding of what uh, the image of God should be. So again, I, like I said, I may be too close to the issue to give you know, truly objective perspective on this, but that's, that's how I see it. I think you got some passion behind that. That, that that was a good you statement think? there. I think I think you got a, I think you got some good opinion. You got some passion behind that. I think about you know like my daughter was engaged years back and um, she was engaged to this guy who was a musician and very emotional and very deep and um, and Madison is very steady like you know solid as a rock and so like the opposite of what we would categorize masculinity and femininity they were and um I always thought to myself what is it like for him to sit in the sanctuary of these pews where if you will the Marlboro man or the cowboy you know uh, is up there on the stage and he doesn't fit it he doesn't look it he doesn't you use the word in um about in school, you learned that those men are the ones that are popular are athletic and dominant, right? He's not dominant. Right, right. He doesn't have that characteristic. And um, he's tender. He's kind. He's sweet. He's he's maybe even fragile in some ways, you know? And I always wonder, like, right. how does he define his masculinity? And I'm, I'm using him as a prototype, if you will. But, I mean, there's lots of different guys sitting there. And I wonder, how can they find... Um, how, how are they identifying themselves up against this man who's got the biceps and the waist and the cool looking, you know, outfit. It's usually jeans and a t-shirt, you know? Um, and, and that's the standard that we're, we keep perpetuating in front of men is this is what a really godly man looks like. This is how he talks. This is how he walks. This is how he dresses. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not, I don't think it's um, the breadth of it is not, helpful for a whole lot of men sitting in our pews, let alone, and even how it impacts women. You know, um, I, I didn't realize when I was a pastor's wife, how much women idealize in the pews, the man in the pulpit, you know, and, and like, I didn't realize that people were gonna like see my husband as this really godly guy and like be 
like um, interested in him, you know, in ways that were inappropriate because they saw him as this, I don't know, godly spiritual dude up there. Um, and they wanted him. That's the, who they wanted to be married to. That's who they wanted right. in their bed, if you will, you know? Right. And no, right. no, by the way, when I went to seminary, nobody told me that. Like, take heed, chicky chicky. <laughs> they forgot to mention well, that little Jackie, detail. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's so much there that you just said. I mean, there's, there, you know, one of the things that, uh, I'm, I'm, boy, there's so much there. So, so one thing is, you know, I think the, the church tried to respond to that in some of these mega churches by, um, and I don't know how you feel about this. I've, I've been, uh, I feel differently about this now that I've had some time to reflect outside of a staff role in the church. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't be alone in a room with a woman. Right. I couldn't be in a car alone with a woman. I couldn't go to lunch with a woman alone. I could, you know, and all of those are protective measures, right? It's almost it reminds me of Footloose, the movie, right? As long right, as you right, don't right. dance, you don't. Have that. I mean, at some point, the, it's absurd. Okay. And, and, and not, not that the whole, the whole concept of it is, is absurd, but, but some of the ways that that plays out is so what it does. It, it, it creates a very unhealthy um, relationships. I don't, I don't think there's a win here, right? It creates an unhealthy, healthy relationship between this movie star guy on the stage and the entirety of the female um, membership of the church. Right. Yep. So number one, number two, it's at the same time necessary at some level because of the very things that you're saying there, there's a, a misunderstanding among the women of the church. Some women who are both, you know, who are, are seeing this man on stage as this idealized godly man. So I don't have an answer to it, but I, I will say that it's real, um, that, uh, it, it, but it does ironically enough generate the very thing it's trying to stop. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't have an answer for it, but it's, it's I there. Have, I have an idea and we're going a little off skill here, a little off topic here, but I, I actually think having a preaching team and a variety of people who look differently, who have different backgrounds, yeah. so so that there is not one king, if you will, up to up front, but also so that people can see, you know, okay, so godliness can be embodied in this person yeah. and can be, and it yeah. can look like this embodied in this person, color, size, shape, yeah. tone yeah. of voice, you know, like if you see constant changing, um, and that, and that, um, knowing Jesus well and loving Jesus well c- comes in all forms of embodied form, right? Then you don't have the idealization of one type. Um, so I do think one of the things we can yeah. do is have a different variety of people on this stage. Um, if we even need a stage, that's a whole nother thing, but I anyway. think that's helpful. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We, I mean, we had a team too, and I think that, that, that did to, to some extent, I would say that Again, just from Frontline's perspective, the church I had, I had five guys that I put, and, you know, developed and put on the teaching team. And, and the funny and ironic, the funny thing in light of this discussion, every one of them, but one of them, everyone, but one of them, you know, if, if you said I look that way, they all look like me, right? So they were all, you know, they, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of diversity there. Right. So, you know, we, we fell into the same pattern, even though we tried to create diversity, right. we failed at that. And I will say back to your question, uh, to the topic of how do these tender hearted, you know, musicians, for example, that, that your, your daughter, I believe was dating at the time, um, how do they find their masculinity? I, I would say this, that, um, I, I think it's a hyper generalization to say that even most men, uh, 
describe masculinity or, or seek to achieve their understanding of masculinity by the things that we've been discussing in this conversation. You know, very healthy, very buff, wearing the right jeans and shirt. I, I don't I don't believe, and I don't have any proof of this, but I don't believe even the majority of of, of men, especially in their 30s and up, uh, see that as the thing to go for. Mm. I think I think tender-hearted men. I, I I will say this too, you know, just kind of categorizing in the way that you suggested before. Whether it's the you know hypermasculine Marlboro man or this tender-hearted musician, as as just two examples. Um, I think, uh, and again, maybe getting off topic a bit, but I think I think the the the, the church being forced to address uh, the gay community um, over the last ten years, fifteen years. The, the widespread cultural acceptance of the gay community, um, that brought with it a very different view, uh, in my opinion, even in the church, of masculinity, um, it being okay not to be the Marlboro Man any longer. In fact, that being, in some sense, the outlier to the norm. Mm. Um, I, think that, I think that masculinity has been allowed in some ways over the last 10 years to shape itself. In other words, you, you, you do you. Right. right, you identify what's masculine for you, and you find a culture, a group, um, a team, a tribe that allows you to be that and identifies that or accepts that as your masculinity. And I do believe that's been a healthy thing, quite frankly, yeah, um, for the too. churches that have addressed that that have addressed that in some sort of uh, um, thoughtful way. Again, we're saying diversity is pushing us to reevaluate how we categorize things, right? Like whether it's yeah, the gay for our community. own cultural benefit. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah. No, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, th- I so I'm going to kind of just summarize what I hear you saying, and I'm a little envious actually because, and I, I'm not surprised that I'm envious. No, I'm not surprised that this is <laughs> what you said. Is that basically men have particularly after college and in, and they move into their 30s, you have the freedom um, to not be body obsessed. Um, yeah. To not, to not, you're, 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 what I hear you saying is you're calling men not to be unhealthy, right? Like we do need to stay healthy and live long-term and well while we're living and moving around in our bodies. But that in general, men have a freedom of not having to give so much thought to their bodies. Um and I'm envious of that because I, and I suspect this is true of most of the women that are listening right now. I can't even understand what that is. Like, I don't even know how to like grab that because literally yeah. I never, I hardly ever live and move without thinking about the fact that I'm an embodied female, whether that's Walking into a parking garage, you know, I park my car in a parking garage and I constantly have to think, is anybody around me? I'm going to make sure my, you know, seatbelt is off so that I have freedom of my hands and I can move, right? When uh, when the right. pandemic happened and I was walking up and down our 15 flights of, of stairs, I would not put my earbuds in because I, I need to know who's in the stairwell, right? I'm an embodied female and my body I'm always aware that I'm in my body uh, for a variety of reasons, right? Even just how men stare at me. um, If I travel, 
and I'm, I'm teaching at a weekend conference and I get tired at night, but I go down to the bar and have a salad and a glass of wine, I immediately have to take note of who's sitting next to me and why they're coming over to talk to me and how do I handle that? You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just, it's just constant. Um, my being evaluated as an older woman, am I still, you know, beautiful? Do I have muscles? You know, all of those things that women out there. Yeah. So I think we're all, I don't know, ladies, are we all feeling a little envious of what, of what Todd just said, which was he gets to live and move in his body a little more free than we do. So yeah, that sucks. Well, can I ask you this? Just, and I know we're, I'm guessing we're over time on this, but, but, um, maybe as a last question for me to you, you know, when, when I look at, when I look at some recent, I was in New York city recently and I was, uh, there was a billboard there and it was, uh, I can't even remember what the billboard was for, but it was, um, five or six women. Uh, they were, uh, it was a billboard, I can't close some sort of clothing billboard, right. So, or, or swimsuit thing or something. And, and they were six or seven women standing there with each other. They're all laughing. Just a, it's a picture and they're of all shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. right? So th- there was this a, a, a effort, this massive billboard and, and, and there were, there were women who were, you know, 110 pounds. And, and again, I don't know, you know, there was just very, very petite women and, and plus size women all together. And there was this, this celebration of all of it. And I, and I, it, I do believe, and I'm just, I guess I'm asking you, are you seeing, cultural shifts where there's there's more of an acceptance and even a celebration of all sizes and shapes of women we are definitely seeing movements in that way that i don't think we've ever seen and we in the past like 10 years and dove would be like one of the first campaigns that started pushing that kind of stuff which i think is really important okay um maybe it was a dove maybe was that that maybe that was the billboard i I, I can't remember but yeah we're starting to see um some people pushing back on the amount of pressure that women are getting about how their bodies are supposed to look. Um, and, and that's a a beautiful thing. And I would also say much like you said, the, the gay community is pushing our, um, ideas of masculinity and femininity. I think minorities in America becoming majorities in America. Like I, you know, we know that in the, I don't know, in 20 years or whatever, there will be more brown skinned people than white skinned people. And I think having other diverse cultures and color and race and ethnicity is forcing us to also, yay, maybe the white skinny woman isn't the ideal, like Beyonce is now famous. Mm-hmm. And so so she right. gives freedom to women to be more voluptuous, if you will, right? So we are seeing Certainly. that. Yeah. And the more we see it, so, um, um, you know, women being successful out there that have diverse bodies, diverse color, diverse mm-hmm. hair, all of that is going to, going to help us move forward. But we're yeah. not, we're not there yet. I mean, the amount yeah. of surgery women are doing, the amount of harm women are doing to their bodies. And I hear it all the time. Like I'm in my fifties, I've been very fascinated, uh, with my friend group, um, listening to them talk about plastic surgery, how they feel invisible because they're aging. It's just, shocking to me these are very capable confident women who are really struggling um with aging because our culture doesn't like older women we, we don't find older well let's see people. this 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 is this has seemed to be a very good conversation so far so can i i would like to end it with with a uh do we have a few minutes go okay 
So you remember you were talking about the nose jobs and or, or you know getting getting plastic surgery and and um, you know all these changes that women want to make. Yes. I, I I don't I don't have an answer, and, and certainly this this question wouldn't isn't meant to be you know answered in, in the next minute and a half. But I find it interesting, and I would I would ask you to consider in your in your in, in future recordings and your ongoing discussions with the women that are involved in your blog, your podcast, the, the, any of the discussions and writings that you're doing. What, what is the line that's drawn between acne medicine, for example, right? So, so we're aware of what beauty is, right? So there, there are things that we do with our bodies, whether it's makeup or, or taking care of a, what we perceive as an acne issue, for example. There, there are changes we make to our bodies and changes we make for the purpose of beauty that, that, that are deemed at some level acceptable. And is it, my question is, is it the extreme nature of a given surgery that makes it wrongheaded or perceived as wrongheaded or too extreme or not accepting one's body? I'm, I'm, I've always been very curious about the spectrum. You know, when does it become problematic or when is it seen as going too far? And I don't have an answer. It's just a question. And I wonder if, if that discussions, if you've had that discussion with your audience and, and the groups that you talk with. You see where I'm going with that? I do. Where's the line? Is there a line? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there a line? And I think that's I think that's another healthy discussion because it is a it is a reality not just with women but very much with men. Yeah. Um, and so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna yeah. actually close this on that question because here's the thing I would yeah. love to hear from our audience about their answer yeah. to that. And yes, when we when I when I walk women through. Um, I have a salon, and right now, if, if you're listening, you can go to my website, themarcellaproject.com, and you can actually enroll in this mini course called The Body Image. And in that, we actually have some conversation around this very issue of, is it wrong oh, to have plastic surgery? Isn't it? What's it? What's it? How do we make those decisions about altering our bodies, and where are those lines? And um, yeah. I think it's really more of a, of a heart intent than it is about what you actually decide. I, my goal, I think, is to help women think about why they are making these decisions to alter their body. Not that altering yeah, it okay. is bad in and of itself. It might not be at all, but why? Yeah. What's at stake here? What's driving you? And so we have some of those conversations, but I think that's a great question to end on because I actually want to invite our audience. Go to um, the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook page and join us and, and, and share some of your thoughts because I think that's a very good question that Todd is leaving us with. Where are the lines? How do you decide those lines? Is it okay if we take care of our acne? I get my hair colored. You know, I haven't had sur plastic surgery yet, but I'm getting my hair colored. So where's the line, right? How do we determine those things? It's a great question. Something we need to talk more about. Todd, if they want to know more about the last well or just you. Yeah. Now that I've described you sure. physically and they know that you have the right size pecs and, you know, all of that, they're going to want to get in touch. <laughs> Todd, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, just thelastwell.org. Um, and and uh, that's that's a nonprofit I've been involved with for 12 years. We're seeking to eradicate waterborne illness in, in different parts of the world. And, and uh, it's been a real passion project for mine for the last 12 years. And you can certainly go on there, info at thelastwell.org. That comes directly to me. And they can certainly touch base with me there. You know, I, I, I really focus all my efforts now on that website and making sure that any interviews that I have really focus on if, if people find any, you know, insight or, or benefit from things that they've heard from me that they might, uh, as a result of that, uh, go and try to save a life around the world. So Awesome. 
Thank you, Todd. I appreciate you spending time with us. Sure thing. And thanks again for the invitation. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day. Thank you.